just in the last three years than I've, I've ever seen from scriptures we think we already know. But here we are, and with that, we live in tough, turbulent times, and we need to be tougher, and he has told us we need to man and woman up to support. Amen. And so with that, I'd like to introduce our pastor, Pastor Kevin. Thank you, Jeff. Praise, praise the Lord. Well, good to have everybody here this morning. Amen. Those that are watching my live stream. And uh, how many are ready for the word this morning? Yeah. Um, and uh, what I've been doing is that I remember before the pandemic when, when church was normal, <laughs> I would do a series. And I would go part one, part two. But the Lord has led me a different direction since the pandemic and since we're doing stuff on YouTube and, and, and um, Facebook and whatnot to do one-off messages. Um, so all my messages since March have been just one-off messages, no part one, part two. But this, and I'm still not going to do a part two this morning, but I, I'm picking up kind of from what I did last week, but not really. It's going to be, Stan, uh, uh, I saw another uh, side to this story I want to give you, share you this morning. So uh, basically, so instead of part two, I'm in a message of what I gave you last week, I titled the message, What Happens Next? <laughs> so basically, uh, but how many know that what we do today, we are, whatever we do today, we're preparing for tomorrow in some way, shape, or form. What we're doing today, we're, or I could say it this way, what we're doing today, we're laying the groundwork for tomorrow. Amen. So basically, what we, so this is the beginning of the week. This is Sunday. You're in church or viewing us live stream if you're taking, if you're taking that opportunity. But you're, this is Sunday. So this is the first day of the week. So guess what? By coming into church, already, you already started next week pretty good. Amen. Now, in Israel, I guess this is, uh, this is Yom Kippur. Uh, Yom Kippur is, is, um, is basically a, a time of repentance, and they reflect back. So the new year they come into, Rosh Hashanah is a new year, so the new year they come into, they can come into. I think that's a pretty good thing. To, but instead of once a year, I think we should have it once a day <laughs> for, for the Christian church. So we don't make the same mistakes that we made today, tomorrow. So basically, we, re, we uh, re, repent of our of our previous ways that we need, if we need repentance, but to move on to what God is doing. Here's what I've seen. When I grew up in a church a long time ago, many years, I've been full-time ministry now for over 33 years. I had a pastor who started, and the reason I even know I had a call a God on my life was because I had a pastor. I went to church, and basically I found out who God was. I found out about what God wants to do in my life in church. I didn't, they didn't have social media back then. We didn't find the stuff by just reading books. We went to church. We participated. And that's how God began to reveal everything in my life. Uh, how many know that they have a purpose? Everybody created or born has a purpose. God has a purpose for their life. But so many live and die without ever knowing that purpose. And I think, it's, I think that's the, the thing that's the saddest is people go through their whole life and never know what they're supposed to do and what they're here for. So I, I, I took it back in the early years is to kind of help people discover what that purpose is. And we, we built a church around that so people can rest assured they have a purpose. Now they can take that before God and let God grow them in that and full, unfold it all through the years. But this is what I heard uh, back, this is, goes back into the, the 70s and 80s, if you can think back that far, if you, if, you were, if you were born back then. But the fact is, is this is what I heard. Uh, we are the Joshua generation. 
This is what they used to say. Now, it was a, it was a theological way of saying we're not the Moses generation. And there's a difference between the generation that followed Moses out of Egypt through the wilderness and the generation who's the Joshua generation that actually possessed the land that God had promised through covenant to Abraham. So there was those that kind of went through the wilderness and they, they, they went through difficult times and they, they weren't really sure and they weren't really sure about Moses. A lot of uncertainty in the wilderness. How many have ever been in a wilderness experience with a lot of uncertainty? Well, is this true? Is that true? What do we believe about this? Is God going to protect us? Did he bring us out here to die? I mean, the whole thing goes back and forth, back and forth. But the Joshua generation had clarity of vision. And the difference was they knew where they were going and when they were going to get there. Amen. They, had a, they had a... But Joshua did things differently than Moses did. A whole lot different. This is where I kind of picked up last week. I said, for one thing, as soon as they got to the edge of the River Jordan, they're on the east side, but the promise is on the west side. Have you ever felt like you're on the wrong side of the river? <laughs> you know, the, the promise that God has you, you can see across there, you see it's over there, but there's this water between us and that. So what happened? God held, stopped the flow of the Jordan River to let them go across. Remember, they picked up the 12 stones, they built the altar as a memorial for future generations because what God wanted to make sure is what's happening today and what I'm doing for you today, I want the next I want the next generation, there's always a next, I want the next generation to remember what I've done for my people today. And the same thing is true today. We, we, uh, when we move on to our next, we need to also tell our children what we've done previous here. What we're seeing today in our society, we're seeing a lot of fatherless generation raising up. We see it in the daycare and different things like that. Over, we've got 21 years in, uh, of, of the, in the daycare, preschool and stuff like that. We're seeing the falling apart of the family. And this tradition is not carried out, not necessarily a tradition, but the remembrance of what God has done is not being carried on to the next generation. And I get to become an old senior citizen. I'm seeing this too. Have we passed it correctly on to the next generation? Do they remember Okay, but so, so, so Joshua was commanded by the Lord. Of course, they took the, uh, one uh, out of every 12 uh, uh, tribes, of one representative, stood in the, in the Jordan as God was holding back the water. So they're standing on dry ground. But before they left the river, they're lined both sides of the river. They, they were to pick up a rock as big as they could carry, and they walked up onto the next bank, and they set down the rock. And that pile of rocks, 12 of them, because there's 12 tribes of Israel, 12 of them were to make an altar and a marker to wherever they rested that first night across the Jordan. Now they're in the promised land. The very first thing they did when they got to the promise of God is to make sure that future generations knew exactly what happened. That's the very first thing. You think, well, they first got over there, they start uh, dividing up the land, and I want to be a farmer here, and I've got flocks over here. No, no, no. What they did was they remembered God. Remember what God said, put the altar there so the future generations would never forget about what God has done. That's what I like to do as a pastor. I like future generations to know what God has showed us here. And what, not only here, this church has an international vision. We've been around, we've been uh, uh, Chile, uh, uh, Guatemala uh, in Central America. We have South America, Central America, uh, um, the Middle East. Uh, we've been in West Africa, uh, uh, you know, with, with the gospel message and different things like that. So I, I like to go back over those things, remind even the people here that have been with us at that time, uh, Deacon Jeff, who just introduced me, I think he'd been here the longest, 
<laughs> he goes back 30, 30, what, 32 years with us, Jeff, Jeff's like that, 31, 32 years. You don't want to remember, I know. <laughs> What's that? Long time. But uh, from, the, from the beginning and, uh, that we established in Key, in Key West. Now, when I came to Key West, I didn't know anybody here. I just heard a word from the Lord and uh, uh, bounced it off a few other minister friends of mine and said, yeah, we think it's God. Uh, they were just glad it wasn't them. <laughs> so anyway, and came and, and founded the work in Key West, and of course later on the daycare center and so on and so forth. So we've been in Key West preaching the gospel for 30 years. So, but from here, from here, going to the nations of the world, all around the world, West Africa was was, was something that uh, was was completely different from what we. I knew I was sent to the Spanish community, Spanish-speaking countries, and we did that first. And then, but God also opened up West Africa at the time we were in West Africa, and, and God doing marvelous things. So this is the, this is as we look back. Of course, uh, maybe this is an old man just rambling, but the fact is, is I can remember what it was like. Remember Caleb that come over with Joshua. Now you got to remember Joshua and Caleb, the two of those guys were the only two out of the twelve that had a good report. So if, if Moses, and he did go by majority rule back then, you see, that's the Moses generation. But the Joshua generation was no more majority rules. Amen. It's we're going to listen to God, we're going to get a clear direction of God, and we're going to do it. Amen. No matter how impossible it seems, we're going to do it. Amen. So that's the difference between the Joshua generation and the Moses generation. The Joshua generation is, okay, what's next? The Moses generation said, there is nothing next because we're just going to wander around here for 40 years in the same wilderness and look at the same mountain, look at the same, same uh, scrub brush, and we're going to look at the same sand that we've looked at for 40 years, and this is where we're going to die. So we're going to live here. We're going to uh, do what we can to survive here. God's going to feed us and take care of us here, but then we're going to die. What does it mean today? Well, spiritually, if you're still looking for God to bring something to you before you do something, you're still in the Moses mentality. And you're still probably living in the wilderness. But I got news for you this morning. I got good news this morning. God has a whole lot more than what you're living. He's got a whole lot more than what you've experienced. I'll guarantee it. I'm going to be 69 years old in a couple of weeks. 69 years old. So if you want to write out a check. No, I'm just kidding. But 69 years old. And I'm thinking, am I supposed to retire? Because I've never been this age before. So what am I supposed to do? Now, my wife and I are both active. My wife is 60, I'm 69. We'll go scuba dive. We do all kinds of stuff and still stay active. But when I look at other people my age, and if I look around, they, they, they're retiring. Uh, some even in the ministry have retired, you know, turned their churches over to other younger people and stuff like that. And I thought I, w- I was feeling guilty because I don't really feel that. I feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> I feel like, you know, you know we, we do the best we can. I mean, I, I still haul this old body around, but we, we, I try to keep it fit so I can keep up with the next generation that's coming in. And so I draw my strength off of Caleb. Caleb says, listen, I've served Moses these 40, 40 years. He said, my eyesight hasn't failed. He said, I still have the same strength. He says, give me my own mountain. Because Joshua had the responsibility of dividing up the lands to the different tribes. So basically, he said, I want to take my people out. Give me that mountain over there. That mountain over there? Have you studied about that mountain? Do you know who lives over in that mountain over there? Are you serious? How many remember David and Goliath? Now, this is hundreds of years in the future, but how many of remember that Goliath was 10 foot tall? That's who lived on that mountain that Caleb wanted. That's where the gen- genetics came from. And a guy lived there by the name of Arba, and he was a giant of giants. Caleb says, 
Let me have that mountain. That's my mountain. I'm going to take that mountain. God will give me that mountain. And he went in and he whipped Arba. This is the oldest guy in existence. I said, I want to be like Caleb. I'm going to identify with Caleb. I said, you know, Moses was fine, but I want, now we're moving out of the Moses mentality into the Caleb, uh, Joshua Caleb mentality. Those two guys never stopped believing that that land was achievable. They never stopped believing. And those were the guys that got it done. The people who never stop believing who Jesus is, never stop believing about his supernatural power, the ones that never stop believing, that's who experience it. The fearful, the doubters, and so on and so forth, never will see the miracles of God and never will see, them, uh, see the goodness of God. They'll have a twinge of it, taste of it, they'll hear about it, they'll, they'll, they'll mentally ascend to it but they never will enjoy it and appreciate it. So with that, I want to say this. We're serving a generation today that is happy for God to give them a miracle and they need it. Oh, Lord, I just got to pay the rent this month. And if you're there, that's fine. But if you're 33 years serving the Lord and you're still believing for the rent, there's something wrong. You've got it stuck into a wilderness. How, How many know when I first started in the ministry, we're not believing for the rent. We're believing for food. The ministry doesn't pay that well when you first start out and nobody knows you and you don't have anything established. So basically, what, but that ain't me now. We've grown, hallelujah, and I've learned how to believe God and, and, and believe God for all things, and we've experienced the miracles of God taking place, not only in my life, but we've seen it in our church and seen other places. I dare to say there isn't one business that's come through this church as a representative of this church that I haven't prayed for that hasn't prospered. Is that, right? Is that right, Jeff Snyder? Is that correct? Because <laughs> he's one of them. <laughs> Amen. Where his business prospered. Is that right, Saray? Oh, look, I know she's translating. Praise the Lord. Amen. Did I hear? Did she say amen? Are you sure? Okay. Praise the Lord. You're okay then. God bless you. <laughs> but so there's a change in happening. So can I focus you this morning? This church focuses this morning. This is a, this is, we're the Joshua generation. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you some teaching and show you the difference and show you what Josh was up against because it was not easy. I like to say, well, everything's going to be rosy. Just give your heart to the Lord. Everything's going to be God. Devils just fly out the windows when you walk in the room. I like to tell you that, but I'd be lying if I did. When I, the day I decided to go into the ministry, my pastor called me out. It was on a Sunday evening service. He called me out and he says, he says uh, God is saying, you're going to preach the gospel. When he said that and he loosed that vision within me, because I already had it. Uh, I just didn't tell anybody because I was too afraid. <laughs> but I had it. And when he loosed that in me, I went out. We haven't stopped preaching since. And basically uh, pioneered to work up in Boynton Beach and, and, of course, in Key West. And then we go into the world and different things like that. And all the things that I've done that God has done. We haven't stopped. My wife and I have been in it together. We haven't stopped. But this is what we, but, but it was a building process and a maturing process along the way. But I had drilled in me that I'm a Joshua generation. You see, instead of just waiting for your needs to get met, for one thing, if you're praying for your needs, you're praying about against what Scripture says. Did you know that? Because New Testament Scripture tells us that our needs are supplied according to His riches and glory. Why are you praying for something here? He said He gave you. So what do I do, Pastor? I got still got needs. I don't. I mean, the two. The, what am I supposed to do? How many want? How many know want to know what to do? Okay, come back next week and I'll tell you. Not. No. What do we do? We proclaim or we declare what God has already said. 
to prayer is a supplication. You make a request or a petition. You don't have to petition what he's already said he's given you. Now, you do have to petition some things that you're not sure of in the Bible that aren't cl clearly specific to you. But when he says, by his riches, uh, uh, I'm supplied, you know, all my needs are taken care of according to riches in Christ Jesus. Then if I come up and I have a need, this is a little bit off the subject this morning, but I'll, I'll throw it in there. But what if I have a need, I say, thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I thank you. Uh, I have a command over resources and money according to the will of God, according to what God has already supplied. I'll command that into my, into my uh, thing. Uh, matter of fact, so I, I won't mention the name of the business, but this week uh, uh, my son-in-law, uh, he's a scuba diver, and he needs some scuba tanks, uh, uh, hydro. This, it's a process you've got to do every five years, and if you have scuba tanks, you've got to every year, it's a visual, uh, annual visuals, and then you have the hydros. And I went into this one, one, one shop, and, and he wanted to get his tank. He had five of them so to get him to, and I says, and, and they said to us, he says, well, uh, I'm sorry, but we don't do hydros on tanks. And I says, I'm sorry, but yes, you do. I says, I know you do. Matter of fact, I know the guy who does them, and I know he'll pick them up right here. This is a drop-off point, and this is what we're supposed to do. We pay here. The guy comes and picks up the tanks. He delivers it into his business. He hydros them and brings them back, all filled, uh, visual inspected and everything else, and the tanks are ready to go when he comes back here at the shop. And she says, looks at me, and this is the manager. She looks at me and says, Oh, I guess we do. And they start filling out the labels and the tags. I guess we do. See, people are too, too easy or too eager to accept what they're told without knowing in advance. Well, I just happened to know because I had two of my tanks done just a few months ago in the same place. So I knew they did them. But basically, since then, they had gotten all new help, and whether they didn't know or forgot or whatever. But when I gave them enough details of what was already said, I wasn't trying to change their store policy I was only repeating what was already a store policy. Yes, you understand? Yes. Okay, because they, the workers didn't know the store policy is not my problem. I'm just a customer. Yes, Hallelujah. Yes, All right, do you see the spiritual connection? God has already said. Yes. Jesus, how many times has Jesus has, I, has the word not already said? Have I not already said? Have I, does, 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 did God say, have I not already said? So that ought to drill into us that what God says we can stand on as believers in him. Amen. And use the name of Jesus. You want to make it, I, I taught this a while ago when I was in Guatemala, and I taught this a while ago to uh, really a number of churches that got together, and they had me as a speaker at one of their conferences, and I, uh, I, said, I said this. I said, do you know the difference between prayer and decoration? Now, in Guatemala, is very much Catholic-influenced, and basically prayer is prayer, and that's all we have. If, if we're not preaching it, we're praying it. If we ain't praying it, we're preaching it. I said, but God showed me something. I said, when I watched the life of Jesus, there was a difference between Jesus praying and Jesus declaring. I picked up that little fine note right there. He didn't pray over the, over the little girl who had died, Jairus' daughter. He says, rise. That's a declaration. That's not a, that's not a prayer request. Oh, Lord, Father, if you're still hearing me, I'm your son. Would you please write? No, no. Arise. Life be where there was no life. That's a declaration. And that little distinction makes all the difference between the Joshua's and the Moses. See, the people, they, they influenced Moses. Moses, we're hungry. Did God bring us out of die? We were they're thirsty. We need water. There's no water. We're in the wilderness. And basically, Moses will go back to God, and God will go ahead. Uh, door, Jeff. Door. 
Thank you. And, and we'd go back, and, and he would go back, and, and, and Moses would listen to God, or listen to people, go to God for the people. But then the Joshua generation was not. Joshua said, we're going to do this, 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 and this. Come on, there. we're going here. God says, do this, and we're going. Amen. So now we're not following a pillar, a cloud, or fire, or smoke, or anything. No, we're not following that. That, that disappeared. Now we're following the Ark of the Covenant. And the differences between the old the old school of wilderness thinking of following this cloud and this mystical cloud and this mystical fire that God had provided to get them out of Egypt now went away. Now the Joshua generation says, no, we're going to follow the Ark of the Covenant. What was the Ark of the Covenant? This is New Testament church, man. We're following the Spirit of God. Amen. We don't have to ask Moses anymore to go on our behalf. Okay, we're following the Ark of the Covenant, which was the glory of God. Now, we have to stay a thousand yards from it because there's social distancing back then. I just can't. <laughs> no, the thousand yards is right. But it was because the Ark was only this so big and it had to see the whole nation had to see it. So a thousand yards out, they could spot it. And that's how they knew the direction to go into. Today in the modern church, what direction? How do we know what direction to go into? Is we follow the spirit of God and he gives us the direction. How do we do that? By being in prayer and on so on and so forth. Are we interested so far? Praise the Lord. Let me get into the scripture before I preach the whole thing without reading one scripture. Uh, I'm going to just read this statement. I said, well, I said this. I said, we're preparing today for our experiences tomorrow. But I discovered over the years, this is my statement, I discovered over the years that our comfort zone can become a wilderness for our faith, always wanting and needing but seldom possessing God's promises. I want to change that. Amen, I want to change it. God's promises are his promises. God is the one holding us back. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, the thief come, but only to still kill and destroy. He said, but I came to give you life and life more abundant. So everything that falls under, first of all, stealing, killing, and destroying. If he can't steal from you, he'll try to kill you. If he can't kill you, or if he can steal from you, then he'll turn around and kill you. Talking about who? The thief, the devil. So the devil comes, this is the words of Jesus. I know because it's in red. Okay, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy our lives. But, God's, but Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundant. We have two opposing forces that we have to deal with. Okay, which one are you going to follow? What the devil's trying to do and throw fear into you? Or are you going to listen to what Christ already promised to give you? Yeah. Abundant life means living large, man. I don't care what anybody says. Abundance is large. I want to live large. Now, whether that's age-wise or whatever, I'm not just talking about possessions as our life. I'm not just talking about something to do as part of our life. I'm talking about really living. Yes. Amen. Amen. Amen? Praise the Lord. So what, it, what happens next? How many has ever watched a television series, watched a movie on TV, and you didn't know it was going to go in two parts, and all of a sudden you're into this movie, and all of a sudden you're watching it, and it's like, stay tuned. Part two next week at such and such a time, and I want to scream and throw something at the TV. You've had my attention for an hour, now you're telling me this isn't the end of the story? Get to the end of the story for crying out loud. What happens next? Praise the Lord, my title anyway. So God has a next for your life. You choose the story that you tell yourself. You choose the story that you tell yourself. It's up to you. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's get to the first scripture so I can, so I can say we went to the Bible this morning. <laughs> if you got your Bibles this morning, I've got both the digital copy here. That's okay if you got it on your iPhone, your iPad. I embrace technology. This is the old analog version for all of you young people that don't know. This is a book. There's no on-off switch for it. You just open up and read the pages. Hallelujah. So, but anyway, so, so I want to turn. The first scripture I want to go to is Joshua chapter one, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. I'll get it out. Yeah. 
Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. You remember when I told you that God held back the River Jordan and they walked across? There was somebody watching that event. The depraved and the idolaters and stuff that were housed up in Jericho saw that happen. And when they saw that happen, they said, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Immediately, they shut up their city. Walled cities. Uh, Jericho was, a, was a, an old city, strong city, but it was also given by an order of God to Joshua. He, he said, this is the first take of, this is the first city you're going to take back, he said, is, is Jericho. So this was the very first. How do we, I don't know if you're familiar with the terms first fruits. In other words, when we, when we pay our offering or we pay our tithe and we give offerings to the Lord, what the Lord asks for, he asks for first fruits. In other words, before we pay the light bill, before we pay the government, before we pay anything else, we give him first. And it's an honor to God to give first fruits. So look at Jericho as the first fruits of God giving back what he promised Abraham. This is the first fruits. So God says there's a moratorium on you can't take nothing. You can't, no, only spoils of war that God allowed them to have was any gold, silver, or copper, bronze, anything to put back into the national treasury of Israel to get them started. But all, everything else, clothing, articles, all that stuff would have been spoils of war. He says, you burn it. Well, you remember before they crossed over, there was a woman called by the name of Rahab, Rahab the harlot. And she helped the spies of Israel escape down through a window. And she said, just remember me when your God delivers the city uh, to Joshua. And he says, fine, we will. And Joshua never forgot that. He remembered. She was the only one in that city didn't die. So people look at this story and say, well, man, Joshua sure was a violent person. You don't understand the scriptures. You see, the, the Ammonites worshipped a god, and they worshipped the, uh, the god of Moab, Moab, and Moab required child sacrifices. So they had to kill their children for the worship of Moab. This is what was, was residing in the area. There was another one, uh, another god that they served was the god of Baal. Now the god of Baal, remember when, when, when the walls came, I'm getting ahead of my story, but remember when the walls came down and there was a curse upon Jericho, that God put a curse upon Jericho not to be rebuilt? He wasn't talking about the city. The city was okay to rebuild. It was the walls. And he said this, he said, they will lay the foundations with their firstborn and set the gates with their youngest. In other words, you try to rebuild these walls and two of your children are going to die. Do you know why? Not because God was hard and abusive, because they served Baal. Baal was a God who, if you were building a new house, they required a death of your child to be put into the foundation of the house or any public buildings. That's why he says, you build this back up, and the curse is going to come back on, and it's going to come against you, and your firstborn is going to be in the foundation of that wall, and your secondborn is going to be in the foundation of those gates. Or your youngest, I said, not the secondborn, the youngest. So this is what was already on the city. That curse lasted for 500 years, and the final curse that was on Jericho was finally removed by Elisha. Do you remember Elijah and Elisha? I'm really getting the stories out. Remember Elijah and Elisha? And, 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 and Elijah, said to, Elijah said to Elijah, he said, if you see me when I go, he said, then, then my blessing will be upon you. And he said, I want a double portion of what you had. Blah, blah, blah. And remember when he was doing that, and Elijah was taken up into the fiery, with the fiery chariot, and there was a school of the prophets that were laughing and mocking Elisha. Remember that? Do you know who they were, where they were standing? 
Jericho. Give you a little history of the city. Okay? And guess what happened? He, he, the, when, when Elisha got a hold of the cloak, he walked over to the River Jordan, which is right there by Jericho. You can see it from Jericho. And he hit the water with, a, with his cape, with the with with cloak of, of Elijah. And God did the same thing. He held back the, the River Jordan, and, and Elijah walked across. This is the same thing. This is the same area. But, of course, this was years afterwards. This was 500-some years later uh, that this happened. But right now, let's get back to Joshua. Now, it says in verse 1, in Joshua chapter 6, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. They saw him coming. They already knew they were in trouble as soon as they see God's people coming. Amen. What do you think the devil does to you when he watches you walk down the street? Walking down the street, praying to the Holy Spirit, just looking at God. The devil says, okay, whoa, whoa, start shutting things down. Here we go. Here comes the Christians. Amen. The ones that are serious, the ones that know the difference, that's exactly what happens. You can't see that because we don't fight a physical enemy today. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness in high places. He does say that. Amen. So anyway, so, so, so here we go. And, and this, 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 this cracks me up. This is so God. And I want you to get this personality that God, that he, that he shows to, to, to Joshua that you might not see. Again. So can you get the picture? Joshua's coming over the ridge. And he's looking at Jericho. Jericho is shaking their boots. They got impregnable walls. They iron gates. They shut the gates. Everything is barred up. They are locked down. That's what Joshua sees. That's the impossible situations that you see. Everything is locked up, shut up. I don't know how I'm going to get through. I don't know what I'm going to do. Nothing seems to be going my way. Everything, it just, it just, then God says this in verse two. It says, and the Lord said to Joshua, are you ready for this? And the Lord said, that Joshua's looking at this city. Man, we don't have catapults. We don't have, we don't have artillery. We don't, we don't even have airplanes. It's just, you know, it's not invented yet. We just, how are we going to get this city? There's a double wall. There's a wall here, a few yards here, and another wall here on a hill. They have to fight up. Two walls have to come down. There was a double wall with a, with a space in the middle. They could run chariots around. It was just, it was, it was impregnable. Gates that were barred shut. Now we're sitting there. This is what Josh was looking at. That might represent, hey, uh, something you need and can't afford to buy. That might be some kind of a, a, a thing. Maybe it's something, somebody in your family is going through a terminal disease or sickness. It looks like a walled city of Jericho. We don't see the beginning anywhere. But look what God says. God says to Joshua, he's looking at this city. He says to Joshua, are you ready for this? And the Lord said to Joshua, see, See, exclamation point, New King James. See, see what? I have given Jericho into your hands. You have? Did you let them know it? Because it don't look like it. You, God, you get, yeah, I give it to your hands. I, see, I get it. And, and, and he goes on and keeps on saying it. He said, I give it into your hands. It's kings and mighty men of valor are all given to you. He says, there it is. Lord, I'm looking at a walled city. He says, I've given it to you. See? See what? I see nothing but impossibility. I see nothing but a walled city. I see nothing I can do or go forward or do anything. I look at my men. I look at what they have. I look at what they're, what they're, they're I mean, they're, they're shut up. They did an excavation of, of Jericho uh, years ago. They found meal jars that were still full. They were expecting a long siege and were ready for it. These people were prepared. And 
He's looking at this city. Of course, they, what they found, they found it in burnt rubble because the city was eventually burned. But the fact is, is, is they didn't have a long siege at all. But he said, God says, see, I've given you the city. Hallelujah. Now, I took that and I started thinking about that. I said, how many times have we seen where we think we're up against an impossible circumstance, an impossible situation? But God is saying, see, I've given it to you. What's it going to take to get it? What's it going to take to get into that city that looks so impregnable? What is it going to take to get into that circumstance that looks impossible? What's it going to take? It's going to take God coming in with his plan. Now, listen to me. If you're wilderness mentality, you will not take Jericho. Wilderness mentalities do not take what God has promised. It only sits there and cries of what it doesn't have. Are you here? So what happens, so the fact is, so, but the Joshua generation says, no, God said it's ours, let's go get it. But he just didn't step out with the means that he had in his brain. He didn't, now Joshua was a tacticianer, he knew. He had that thing spied out way before they crossed the Jordan. He knew exactly what was inside that city by the word of his spies. He also knew there was one, one person in her entire family and household had to be saved without being killed. How am I going to maneuver this stuff? There would seem to be impossibility upon a possibility. But he forgot one thing. Well, he didn't forget because he did it. But the fact is, is God had the plan also. As far as, you've got to understand, when God looks at something, he doesn't see what you see. He sees beyond what you see. We're the ones that ask the question, what happens next? God already knows what happens next. He already knows what happens in the next, and the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. And he has a next for you. Are you here? Praise the Lord. So this is what he's looking at. So, okay, we've got to take this city. This city is strong. This city, this city is impregnable. There's been more powerful armies than mine that have failed in taking this city. Oh, but they didn't have God. So God says, here's what you do. And he laid out a plan. He laid out a plan. It's amazing when he laid out a plan, he said, he, uh, the number of sevens in the Bible. Now, <clears throat> seven is significant because seven is God's number of completion. It just not, another subject, I don't have time to preach on it, but the fact is, uh, in, in the Jewish festivals, there's a Jewish festival that for seven days you do this, and on the eighth day you do this. Did you know that there's no eighth day? You know there's only seven days to the week. So when it comes to the eighth, it's the first day again. Except one thing. How many know the number eight uh, it, it also represents new beginnings? Because how many people were in Noah's Ark at the time? Eight. Started a whole new population of the earth when God wiped out the earth with a flood. Amen. Hmm. So what are you saying? Well, that Jew, the Jews, don't, a lot of them don't know. Some do. But that number eight is talking about eternity. <clears throat> He says, so here's what you do to celebrate eternity. He said, why number eight? There is no number eight. <clears throat> so when we come to the end of time, or the end of the time that God says, okay, there's no more earth, <clears throat> he folds, rolls this back. All the tabernacle, the temple comes down, everything comes down. But what comes in its place, <clears throat> excuse me, is a new Jerusalem, right? Yes. Brand new kingdom, <clears throat> number eight. Amen. That's the eighth day. It's a new creation. So that's what the number eight stands for anyway. But so the number sevens I was talking about, there was seven shofar players. They followed the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant went first. Now, here's the thing. He switched up from Moses because Moses sent out the tribe of Judah first, the praisers. But he switched this. No, what you're going to do before the Ark of the Covenant, set out your military men. <clears throat> for six days, you go once around the city. Seven shofar players, your military men out in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and you just parade around 
Day one, you prayed around once, you stop. Day two, three, four, five, six, the same thing. On the seventh. Now, here comes the seventh. You got the seventh shofar, and here's what you do. <clears throat> God began to know. Now, <clears throat> you probably don't know this, and a lot of people probably don't realize this, unless you understand what the shofar blast mean. But he said, when you get on the seventh day, the seventh time around, because uh, on the seventh day, you got to go seven, around seven times. <clears throat> on the seventh day, he said, blow the seven shofars. <clears throat> but he said something else. He said, when you blow the shofars, do the long blast. Long, <clears throat> excuse me, long blast. Josiah, <clears throat> Josiah, come up here and help me. <clears throat> excuse me, let me get a drink of water. <clears throat> Hallelujah. <clears throat> my voice, I've just been preaching a long time in the war room for, to my leadership. <laughs> this is the second time. But anyway, so he said, but God particularly says, he said, a long blast of the ram's horn. This is, hold it up just so you can see. This is, uh, come over here in the camera. I think, is he in the camera? Okay, my producer there. Okay, praise the Lord. My director, is this okay? Okay, you can see it good. All right. This is, this, is, uh, this is a typical shofar. This is a kudu horn. Don't ask me how kudu horns got into Israel, but anyway, this is a typical shofar. And what they would have had that, or we have a short one there. There's different times for ram horns and stuff. Basically, it's a horn. The word shofar is Hebrew for trumpet. <laughs> so this is a trumpet. Looks like a horn. <clears throat> well, there's a difference in the blast. Here at Covenant Word Church, we train our, our guys. They have about four different blasts, and they mean different things. There's the engaging in the battle. There's, there's, there's jubilee. There's different things like this. <clears throat> Interesting fact. On Yom Kippur, which is happening today in Israel, at the end of Yom Kippur, they'll blow the shofar. It's in Hebrew tradition. It's in Hebrew tradition for thousands of years. Okay, at the beginning, they blow the shofar, and they have different things that they blow with different significance. The different different shofar blasts have a different significance to it. I got to share that with you so you understand what I'm going to tell you next. Okay, because what God said specifically, and He's very specific, He says you do the long blast of the of the ram's horn. Tekia gole. Tekia gole. Listen, if you speak Hebrew and you're laughing at me right now, don't worry, I got an Israeli brother-in-law. He says every time I try to speak Hebrew, is that you're hurt. But anyway, the fact is, is, is that's as good as it's going to get. Okay, praise the Lord. So that particular command in Hebrew means to do the long blast. Amen. And it sounds like this. Go ahead, give, a, give it. Keep going. That's it? You've been working out this week? Long, long blast. Long, come on, give him a hand. This is good. Okay, don't pass out. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's what they would heard seven times over. I looked at the shofars. I said, you know what? We only got five shofars. That's the number for grace. We need seven, the number of completion. So we're going to get two more shofars. But the fact is, but the, what does that mean? So, okay. He blew his shofar. He blew a trumpet. See, this is what you don't understand. you got to do it God's way. Amen. God has a reason for telling you to go to church. Yes. There's more to it than just going to church and sitting, right. in, sitting in a pew and listening to sermons. There's more to it than that. Because what happens when you come to church, you're part of the body of Christ. When you're part of the body of Christ, you get the protection of Christ. When you get the protection of Christ, you get the anointing of Christ. When you get the anointing of Christ, you get the Spirit of God, you get the Word, and so on and so forth. It's all connected. But if you forsake or break that one, like, oh, Joshua, you know, long breaks. These guys have been marching around all these days, seven days and seven times around. I'm going to give them a short blast and go home. 
and the walls would have stayed put. Because even though God said it was his city, he had to do it God's way. You look at impossible circumstances that you cannot conquer. You need God, but you have to do it his way. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You go to a doctor, you spend thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars anymore today. The doctor give you a diagnosis, and, and, and then you go home and say, I don't believe him. You're going to die. That's all there is to it. You're going to die. So you pay all that money, but you don't listen to, 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 to a man's advice. Joshua spent his life watching the failures of, of, this, of the wilderness people. We're seeing the wilderness mentality in churches today, and churches are failing. I'm not talking about in their attendance. Some of them are got busting the seams in their attendance, but they're failing the word of God because they're not giving the total truth, total truth to the people. I said to my, my leadership this morning, I said, well, here's what I see my main job is. We're in the last days. Nobody's going to argue with that. Nobody with a brain or read the Bible is going to argue we're not in the last days. But I said, what about what Jesus says? I'm going to go. Judgment's going to come to the house of the Lord first. And he says, I'm looking for a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I immediately saw, well, this is the time and hour we live in. My job is to get the church ready for the coming of the Lord. So we don't have time to play around, play games. This is what it's going to be. Joshua had the same thing. I can't, I can't figure out how to get to that. That's an impossible situation. I can't figure out how to do that. God, give me the plan. And he carried out the plan. And when they blew that shofar, blow it one more time so we remember what it sounds like. This is what Jesus come back on. Hallelujah. Seven times that noise right there. Seven times that noise. Walls begin to come down and crumble underneath their feet. Are you here? Praise the Lord. Can you shout an amen? Can you give God glory this morning in the house of the Lord? Hallelujah. Get used to that sound. Praise the Lord. Not just the physical sound that we're hearing this morning, but get used to it. Amen. <laughs> Good job, <clears throat> Josiah. Hallelujah. He gets into it, boy, I tell you. But get used to not that sound that you're hearing physically in the church this morning, but get used to the idea that God has a plan that you may not even know about, that, you, that he sees something. He's got your what happens next. It isn't what's happening now. It's not what happened yesterday. It's not what happened 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever. It's what's going to happen next. You're not living 10 years ago. You're not even living last hour ago. You're living to the next. Every time we're going, we're moving to the next. What's going to happen in your life next? What's going to happen next? I know when we get frustrated and a lot of problems happen, oh, God, what's next? I'm not talking about, oh, God, what's next? I'm talking about, Lord, what do you have that's next? Give me the next. Amen. Come on. I'm not that old. God's, the Bible says I can live to be 120. Yes. I'm just a little over middle-aged. <laughs> I hate to see me when I get to full age. But I mean, <laughs> in fact, no, we got to stop looking, stop looking behind, look into the future. Jesus even said that he puts his hand in the plow and looks back, not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Are you here? Yes, oh, there's a lot of stories in Jericho. There's a lot of stories about it because this was God's thing. He said, don't touch anything. And he got into Jericho. The walls came down. Isn't it amazing that God saved Rahab? Rahab the harlot. Everybody knows what a harlot is, right? You're all grown ups here in the church. I don't think explain what a harlot is. That's what she was. Whatever you think you've done wrong, I don't think you were Rahab. I got a shocker for you. Are you ready for a shocker? 
in the book of Matthew, Rahab is listed in Christ's genealogy. Amen. <laughs> she wasn't a harlot no more. Now, what happens is what archaeologists found in Jericho, that some of the houses were built up against the wall. Remember how Rahab lowered the, uh, the rope down and let, let the guys escape, the spies escape, while she sent the soldiers in the opposite direction? Her house stayed because part of the walls that had the houses, God left intact. He didn't flatten them. So her and her household were spared when they went in. All they had to do was cross over a line and join Israel, and she became an Israeli or an Israelite. Amen? And God spared her for one kind act that she showed. So we understand that God was, though he poured out a judgment against the gods of the Moabites and all the other gods and the, and the use of their children. Think about this, putting their children in the foundations of their home, killing them and burying them in the foundations of their home. Don't look at me so shocked because 60 million abortions say something else in our country. So we, I pray every morning, God, re, re, you know, roll the reproach, uh, uh, reproach off of the American and the United States. Amen? Amen? Because it's still sacrificial unborn, but instead of it to a God or to an idol, uh, we just do it to the self of con self-convenience. Praise the Lord, which is the me, I generation looking at self. But then let me get back. So if you're facing, let me encourage you this morning, if you're facing impossible situations, before, well, the time I got left, let me share a couple, can I share a couple more stories with you? Yes, Praise Thank you, Josiah. You did good. Uh, but share a couple more stories with you. Jesus went to Jericho. Jesus Christ went to Jericho. Did you know that? How many remember a man by the name of Blind Bartimaeus in the Bible? Remember Bar Blind Bartimaeus? And he shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And he shout, and the crowd say, shut up. How many is ever trying to tell you to shut up? Shut up. Don't bother the master. He's not, you beggar, shut up. This is what they're telling. So the more they told him to shut up, the more blind Bartimaeus. Isn't it something we call him blind Bartimaeus? When Jesus got done, he wasn't blind anymore. We identify these people by their issues. <laughs> Aren't you glad people don't identify you by your issues? Oh, yeah, Susie the gossip. We know her. You know, some people do, I guess. But, the fact, but so, so, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Praise the Lord. And it's recorded in, in, in book of Mark chapter 10. And he went out of Jericho and his disciples, a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus, bar means son in Hebrew. Timaeus is the man's name. So basically it's the son of Timaeus. We use the same thing in acronyms today. How many has ever heard the name Johnson? Well, that's an acronym of John's son. Together you got Johnson. But basically, so that's what Bartimaeus really was. He was son of Timaeus. We really don't know his name. I don't know if his name was Timaeus or not, but, but he was son of Timaeus. And, and, and he sat in a row as a beggar. And when he heard Jesus in Nazareth, he began to cry, saying, son, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And then many, many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more. Amen. Who's trying to keep you to teach you to shut up when you're crying out to God? Tell them to shut up and keep crying all the more. Why did he say son of David? See, we got a, this, another little detail we don't understand. Why son of David? Why not call him Christ? Why not call him Jesus? Uh, 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 Jesus of Nazareth, was, he's called. Why son of David? Because Barnabas knew and knew within his heart, even though people were trying to shut him up, 
that as a son of David, that, that the Messiah would come through the seed of David, and he was calling him Messiah, even before he went to the cross, and even before he comes back. Because the son of David, uh, I've heard people say, well, he's referring to Jesus' humanity. No, he's not. He's referring to his lineage. Son of David. Son of David. You are in the lineage of David. And that's because that's, you're the Messiah. Messiah, have mercy upon me. Amen. Jesus goes, he said, what do you want me to do for you? Or what's the problem? It wasn't obvious. It was obvious. Jesus knew exactly. But he had to say it to receive it. He had to speak it out to receive it. He was praying to Jesus. He was asking Jesus, Jesus, I need your help. So he spoke it out, what he wanted to come back. Hang on to that because i got one more story for that. He spoke it out. And Jesus says to this, very strange, only said it a couple of times in the New Testament, or a few times in the Testament, but he said this. He says, You're according to your, not mine, your faith, be it done unto you. According to your faith. Important point. First, he said with his mouth, he believed in his heart, he received Jesus and got the healing that he needed. Paul said right to the Romans, he said, we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, and Jesus is Lord. Amen. We believe and confess, and Jesus is Lord. We believe in him, confess him, Jesus is Lord. Are you ready for this? Yes. One more story. This is in Mark chapter 10 also. Amen? And uh, he said, oh, I'm sorry, this is in Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter, chapter number 9, verse 21. But talk about the woman with the issue of blood. How many have ever heard about the woman's issue of blood? And what, what happened is you got to read what she said before she met Jesus. She never met Jesus before, never went before Jesus before. That type of issue or bleeding problem in that day made her what was ceremonial and, 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 and biblically unclean. That means if she sat in a chair and an Orthodox man came over and sat in the same chair that she just got done sitting in, he would be defiled. They would have to do an offering, the whole thing. So basically, she was a defilement at anybody she came in contact with. I got to bring that point out first so you understand the whole gist of the story. Because Jesus isn't looking to condemn like you think he is. Amen. The religious minded think that. Yes. But the, the religious minded are wrong. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, he came to save the world. He said it out of his own, out of his own words. Yes, so you're looking for condemnation. You get condemnation from church people, they're just knuckleheads. Amen. I'll tell you what, I'll say this, I'll say this live. Any person that feels that they've been wronged by the body of Christ or something, come into this church and we'll set it right for you. We'll help you out. We'll show you how to get restored. That was the heart of Jesus, to restore this woman. Now, he didn't even meet this woman. This woman snuck in. She snuck in and stole the blessing. Because she said, this is what it says, Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, for she said within herself, she said within herself, if I may just touch the garment, I shall be made whole. Twelve years. If you got something 12 years, you go, I mean, you, are you going to think you're going to get any better? She went to every doctor, spent all she had. Had to be a rich woman. Twelve years of doctor bills? How would you look if you had said 12 years of doctor's bills? In these prices, in today, I mentioned it was, it was that way in ancient times. Jesus was wearing a garment, all right. He was wearing a garment that was similar to this, and it looked like this. This is what the Hebrews call. Anybody know? Where's my Hebrew students? Talit. This is a talit. 
It's worn in different length. This is a shawl type tallit. There's a different length. But you notice on the corners, this one I will point out. She said, if I touch the hem of his garment, this is the hem. Would you agree this is the hem? Yes. You see this tassel right here? Yes. It's called the tisit. There's four of them on the four corners. There's a blue thread in it because the Bible said it has to be a blue thread in it. You will see some of them that are white, all white. That doesn't mean anything. Basically, basically they, they lost the color uh, formula for blue, so they make it white because they don't know the correct formula. This is a, um, this is a messianic. <laughs> to, to eat. So this, is, this has got the blue thread in it. What happens? There's five knots. One, two, three, four, five. Count them. Five knots, right? Five knots and a blue thread. The blue thread matches the blue sky. We look up for, for, for heaven. And the five knots represent the five, first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Okay, first five books, and that's what she grabbed. This is what she was reaching for. This would have hung outside. This goes on ahead, but it could wore off the shoulders like this. This is what would have hung low, but low his robe. So as Jesus went through the crowd, he reached back. He says, who touched me? Who touched you? Nobody basically touched him, but she reached out and grabbed the tea seat. She grabbed this because this is the word of God. The first five books of those word that they knew about it. Our Bible has a few more, but weren't written yet back then. But this is what she knew as Torah. She reached out to the Torah, asking God. She knew he was a man of God. He was going to heal her if he could just touch this. That's what she said with herself. There is no scripture that she based herself on. She based the belief that was in herself, and she knew as she went after the scripture, after the word of God, that God would do something. That's what she said with herself, even though she had an affliction for 12 years. Why did she sneak in? Because it was illegal what she was doing. She was doing something illegal according to the law, according to the Torah, because what happens is she defiled him as a rabbi because they recognized Jesus as a rabbi, master, rabboni, teacher, that means rabbi. So basically he was a rabbi in the Jewish sense. But the fact is because she reached out and grabbed that, touched a part of his garment, she defiled Jesus as a rabbi. She didn't because Jesus isn't just a rabbi, he's the son of God. And he's the very essence of the word of God. John said this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was the actual yes. impediment of the word flesh. She could have been taken out and stoned. She was willing to risk her life to get to the garment of Christ to receive what she knew was under the Abrahamic promise. Abraham, did Abrahamic covenant have healing in it? Absolutely. If the Abrahamic covenant has, then does our covenant, based on better promises, says in Hebrews, do ours have? Absolutely. Amen. And she reached out, and she was shocked because Jesus felt that. What did he feel? He didn't feel her touching the tzitzi. He felt her a faith go, a virtue go out of him because somebody reached out in faith. Amen. Somebody reached out in faith. And he turned, and she just shook. She froze. Because, oh, no, I've been found out. I'm going to die. This is it. This is the end of my life. They're going to stone me to death. And he says, daughter of Abraham, he says, be healed. Your faith has made you whole. Not this piece of cloth that you reached out for. The faith you had in the one who gave us this cloth, that's who healed you. He says, it made you whole. Getting out of the word this morning? Now, I gave you all those three stories to tell you this. you got an impossible situation that you're facing. Let's go to God for the answer. But let's do it his way, not your way. 
don't tell him what you want to see happen. Joshua didn't do that. He says, okay, the city's mine. Next step, ask God how. (laughs) What happens next? All right? You got a challenging sermon this morning, a challenging word to challenge our faith. Okay, what happens next? This is a good title. I like this title. I was kind of on the fence with it before, but now I I like this title. What happens next? Easy one to remember. Only three words. What happens next? When you go out of this church and you go tomorrow morning and the devil starts ringing your bells and starts chiming on you because we know he comes immediately to steal the word. The Bible says that. So don't let him. You know, the devil goes to steal the word. Don't let him. Since when is he bigger than God? Don't let him. How do I don't let him? Tell him not to. In the name of Jesus, stop. In Jesus' name. My word. Get out of here. Oh, I could tell you the stories about that right there. Hallelujah. But praise the Lord. Let's, but you got, you got some encouragement. How many got encouragement this morning? We found out Jesus isn't a condemner. And we found out God, even in the Old Testament, could do the impossible and still preserve who he was supposed to preserve. But pass judgment upon the gods. Understand, every time God poured out a plague in Egypt, ten plagues in Egypt represented ten gods that Egypt worshipped. Pass judgment on each one of his gods. If the person got caught up with that God, they got caught up in the judgments of God. There's a God of this world called Satan, the Bible plainly puts in the Bible. So what happens if we get caught up in with the, uh, not worshiping, I mean, we won't in a worshiping sense, but if, we, if we're just yield to him, whatever he wants to do, I guess it is a form of serving him. Then we get caught up in the judgments of the thing. Understand something, God doesn't count your sins. He's already judged sin. But to get the effect of that off of you, you've got to receive the redemption of Christ and receive his redemption. And you're healed of that affliction, a cold sin. Amen. So am I, thank God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How many here have a past? How many here have a past they ain't proud of? Oh, give me, a, don't you even look, don't even start, don't even look at me like that. Come on. Are you still breathing people? Oh, yeah, but you just want to acknowledge it in church. Okay, I'll raise my hand. I got a pass I'm not proud of. Well, what is it? None of your business. God took it as, God took it as far as the east is from the west. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. Look at the face. Look at it. I knew it. I knew it. Look at it. You knew it. None of your business. Hallelujah. And when the devil brings up your past, you know what you say? None of your business. Because it isn't my past that counts. Christ has healed me from my past. But guess what? I got a future. And that next, you just watch, devil, the next thing that's going to happen. Next thing that's going to happen, I'm going to go to church. Next thing that's going to happen, I'm going to start singing praise unto God. Next thing that's going to happen, I'm going to put my tithes and offerings into the city. Now, that's going to rebuke you from touching my finances. Think that, devil. And the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to tell everybody I know about Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I'm going to pray over people. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to intercede for people. In the name of Jesus, we're going to stand up for Christ and we're going to stand up for what's right. In the name of Jesus, we're going to not only survive, but we're going to thrive for the glory of God. In the name of Jesus, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen next. And it's not going to wait next week, next year, or next millennial. It's going to happen in the next hour. It's going to happen within the next minute. It's going to happen in the next second. Hallelujah. Because that's all it takes because Christ moves at the speed of light. And that's what we're going to see. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Any other words this morning? If you didn't, 
I don't know. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you, you, got a whole, you got a whole preacher's Bible lesson, seminar lesson today, this morning. But praise the Lord. Let's stand to our feet and close out. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want, to, I want to thank everybody for coming here this morning. I want to thank you for your courage for coming here this morning because a lot of people still under fear and so on and so forth, but we'll pray for them to get them in the church. Amen. Forsake not the assembling of the gathering yourselves, it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Why? He said, even so as you see the last day approaching. Do you know what I'm noticing? More people are interested in going to church than ever before. Oh, we're not seeing the fruits of that. I'm hearing about it. Why? Because they know with what we've been through with the pandemic, we got some people that are waking up. Amen. And that's a good place to be, awake. We call it an awakening of our country, awakening of our, awakening of our church. Why? You people that come to church all the time, you can get comfortable. You can get comfortable saying, well, you know, I come to church all the time. You know, well, you know, you know, it hasn't done me any harm, hasn't done me any good. Then you're just a lump. Don't be a lump. Hallelujah. Because I can tell you, in my life, over the almost 69 years I've lived, and over almost, almost 50 years of being married to Diane, amen, I was never married to anybody else, we just married each other, and we stayed married 50 years. So if you, if you need help in your marriage, I'm an expert. And if I'm not, I'll just turn you over my wife, she is. <laughs> amen. But the fact is, 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 is there, I'm telling you, there's a success to living. Not about... I understand the prosperity message and all this other stuff, and there's some truth to that, but the fact is, why don't you go after the quality of life, not the quality of money? Amen. God, let God take care of the rest. Well, We've we got to live. Uh-huh. You have to live abundantly. Amen. You don't just have to live according to the Scriptures, you're, and you're receiving Christ. You're supposed to live abundantly. So anybody that's not living that abundant life, I'm not talking about my amount of money. I know people that are millionaires, and they ain't living. They ain't living. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the people listening to this message this morning, and we humbly submit ourselves to you. Lord, we do want to see what happens next, but we look towards you for encouragement. And Father, show us the way. Show us the way, and we'll follow. Show us the way, and we'll take the city. Show us the way we'll take the land that you said to come because we're the Joshua generation now that's rising up and taking the promise of God that you promised to Abraham. We're even as Gentiles right now in the new covenant. That new covenant comes off the Abrahamic covenant because Christ says through Christ that we can have the blessings of Abraham. He did not say the blessings of Noah. He did not say the blessings of Moses. He didn't say the blessings of Joshua. He said the blessings of Abraham will now fall upon the Gentile. That's us as all non-Jewish people will fall upon the Gentile through Christ Jesus. Because Jesus, you went to the cross for us. We recommit ourselves, we resubmit ourselves, Father God, to the will of God, and we want to learn more about it. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise. If you're at home and you listen to this message, we encourage you this morning, give your life to Christ. And we open up the invitation because the time is still not, the door is not, still not shut. Amen. No man knows the day, the hour it will be. But the fact is, we know this. I'm smart enough to know that everything is good that's ever happened to Kevin Kerr happened to me in church. It happened to me because of God. Everything good has happened to my life and our marriage has happened because of church. So I'm a fan. Praise the Lord. God, we give you praise this morning. We thank you. I want to thank all the people that showed up this morning, took the time out to listen to the message and, and to go through our service this morning with us. We enjoy having you. You're the body of Christ. And we reinforce one another and we strengthen one another. Amen. 
nobody has all the answers. Nobody has all the strength. But Father, we, th we thank the Lord, our Father God in heaven. We thank him. But he has given us members in particular. There are people here that have diversity of gifts, diversity of spirit, diversity of, 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 um, of um, uh, diversity of truths, and coming together in the body of Christ, and we serve God together. But there is only one Lord. That's Jesus Christ. One Messiah that the Jews will soon see. Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody agree with that prayer said? God bless you. Stay healthy, wealthy, and wise. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You're dismissed.